what's the right path to choose in life? A path of meditation, a path of prayer, a path of yoga, a path of satsang. In the Indian spiritual tradition, there are many, many different types of what are called yoga, but three main spiritual yoga paths, what we'll call bhakti yoga, what we'll call jnana yoga, and what is called karma yoga. And they're paths of devotion, so bhakti means devotion, and those tend to be the paths of prayer, meditation, if your meditation is focused on a, a form or a name of the divine or opening up your heart to the love. Gyan yoga, which is the path of wisdom or knowledge, as you said, study. That tends to be followed when we are whether it's reading the scriptures or whether it's even in a form of meditation that's more of an inquiry type of form of meditation. Then of course we have karma yoga, path of service, raja yoga, and of course we even have our hatha yoga. So many different paths. And yet, ultimately the word yoga means union. And so it doesn't actually matter where you start because they all take you to the same place. We live here on the banks of Ganga. And if someone says to me, what's the best way to get into Ganga? Ganga is the Divine Mother. Ganga is going to bring me liberation. What's the best way to get into her? Well, I could say, you know, if you walk down our steps, you'll find these marble steps, and it's, it's easy. You can take one step at a time, and it's quite clean. It's beautiful. If you wanted to offer a huti in the fire on your way down, there's a yagna kund. If you're not a very strong swimmer and you need a chain, we also have chains that you could hold on to. Or if you prefer a dirt path, go upstream, there are some dirt paths. There are some paths that are more of a sharp incline, some that are less of an incline. You could go up river and jump off a rock and dive into the There's There's a hundred ways just probably within a 50 meter radius of how you could get into Ganga. And ultimately all that matters is you get in. In the same way on our spiritual paths, what matters is that we have that union. The yoga is what matters in all of these paths. And fortunately the yoga is what's consistent in all these paths. So whichever way we go through, as long as we're using it as a way to unite, a way to connect deeper and deeper to the divine. And of course, 
to the divine within ourselves, to the divine in the world around us, to the divine with a name and a form if we choose to worship the divine with a name and form. But really what matters is just that connection. And in the same way of getting into Ganga, each of us is going to have different personalities, different preferences, different strengths, different weaknesses. And so, for example, if I'm not a strong swimmer at all, I'm going to choose a place to get into Ganga where it's not a very sharp incline. I'm going to choose a place where there's a rope or a chain or something I can hold on to so that if I slip, I don't drown. In the same way on this path, for some people, sitting quietly in meditation, closing their eyes, is a path that connects them deeply, not effortlessly, but nonetheless with some ease to themselves. Whereas for others, connected to the earth with their hands in the soil, or through service, through connecting to the divine in actual manifestations in the form of nature, the form of animals, the form of people. Doctors for whom their best meditation is doing surgery. There are schools that teach walking meditation, open-eyed meditation. So it really, really doesn't matter. What matters is that you do something. That you do it sincerely. And of course, you don't only have to choose one. I mean, on a personal level, within almost every day, I meditate, I pray, I do hatha yoga, I come for satsang. I do a lot of karma yoga. And so, and that's true for many, many, many of us here, and of course many people all over the world, yeah, singing yoga. So, you don't have to choose only one. When you love someone, you couldn't say, well, what's the best way to be in love? Is it with flowers? Is it with chocolates? Is it with writing poetry or serenading someone or candlelit dinners? As many people as you asked the question to, you'd have as many different answers. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you love. And so what matters is that you connect. If Whichever of these paths makes you feel the most deeply connected, the most one, the most full, the most complete, the most aware of your own divinity and the divinity of the world around you, that's your path. But I want to just end with a story that I tell frequently of three men who are stranded on an island and 
naturally they're nervous, they're stranded on an island. And they pray every day that something should save them, pray to God, somehow get them <coughs> off this island, get them back to the mainland. And one day they wake up in the morning and there's a canoe in the shore. And they're ecstatic that God has saved them. And so they jump in the canoe and they row their canoe across the water back to the mainland. And a few weeks later, someone sees them in the village and they're walking with this canoe on their head, single file line holding the canoe on their head. And the person says, why do you have that canoe on your head? And they say, oh, well, God, you know, we were stranded on this island and it was horrible. And this canoe, it came and it saved our lives. And the person said, well, that's wonderful, but why are you carrying the canoe on your head? And they said, well, you know, we were stranded on this island and the canoe, it came and it saved our lives. And the point is, the purpose of the canoe was to get them across the water. Them now carrying the canoe through the village on dry land has actually rendered them absolutely incapable of doing anything else. Of fulfilling whatever it was they wanted to get back to the mainland to fulfill of benefiting themselves or anyone else by the fact that they got off the island and back to the mainland. All it's done is it's actually handicapped them. And we actually end up doing the same in many ways with our techniques. Whether it's specifically techniques of meditation, whether it's techniques of sadhana, whether it's a preferred method of sadhana, the purpose of all of it is to take us across this ocean, to take us out of this illusion of living just in this material body, to take us out of the chains that bind us to our ego, to our desires, to our expectations, to our jealousy, to our competition, to our illusion. get us free of that. But ultimately all that matters is getting across the water. And so like for these men, it doesn't matter whether it was a canoe or whether it was a yacht or a rowboat or a motorboat. What mattered is they could use it efficiently, skillfully to get across the water. So whatever works for us, we use it. But then when we find ourselves in that experience, where our technique has brought us into that moment, which sometimes lasts only a moment, sometimes by grace lasts a string of moments, We need to just be there rather than being worried about the technique that got us there. Otherwise, 
or meditating on the breath, for example, or on a mantra. And then we come to that moment where there is no breath, there is no mantra, or there's only breath and only mantra, but we're not chanting it. But if we're so stuck with the, the technique, then we pull ourselves out of that moment, out of that, that experience, and back into, oh wait, I'm not, I'm not chanting my mantra, oh wait, I'm not aware of my breath. And we lose the whole purpose. So use any, use all. But just do that. until you have that experience. And then be in that experience. And when you find that you're no longer in the experience, you use it to get back. As a boat takes you across the water.
I convince myself incorrectly, but nonetheless, I justify and convince myself that in order to succeed in this, I need to cheat, I need to lie, I need to hurt others, because if I don't, I won't succeed. I need to step on people's head in order to climb up the ladder. And then on the other hand, I'm trying to have a spiritual path in which I'm studying yamas and niyamas, I'm studying yoga, I'm starting to meditate and practices of compassion and loving kindness. That's when we start to really feel this disconnect. And that's where it's really important to ensure that whatever I'm doing, there's an alignment between my beliefs and my actions. And that doesn't mean I can't go into business. There are amazing people in business who are successful, making lots of money, and yet through their success are making other people successful are making money for other people, are making the planet better. I could give you lots of examples, but I just, I just don't want to utilize the time there. But it's, it's more than possible. It's happening <coughs> all over the world. There's no excuse that in order to succeed in any path, I need to lie or cheat or hurt or steal. And if I do, then I need to really look at it and say, why am I so attached to this particular career? More likely what tends to happen is our career feels simply meaningless. It's not hurting anyone. It's not stealing or lying. It just doesn't feel very deeply important. And that's where we have this wonderful opportunity in the development of ourselves to turn everything we do into a spiritual practice. All of the people I meet in my job, people I work with, my employees, my employers, the guy in the cafeteria, the guy in the parking lot, you know, who parks my car, or the bus driver, depending on how I get to work, the cleaning people. How can I interact with everyone in a way that is part of my spiritual practice? Because every religion, every path, in different ways, different languages, tells us the divine is in everything. In our Upanishads, we're told, Isha Vasyamidam Sarvam, And it means everything in the universe is pervaded by the divine. And what that means is, wherever I am, I have an opportunity to pray, to worship, to connect, 
whether it's all of the people I was speaking about, whether it's the earth upon which I walk, the water I'm drinking, every single aspect of my day is pervaded by the divine. So regardless of what my career is, every minute and every moment becomes an opportunity for a spiritual practice. And then lastly, how do we know when we're connected? Well, on the first level of connection, just in terms of alignment, there's, there's a sense of dis-ease that comes when we're not in alignment. In psychology, there's a term called cognitive dissonance. And it's a term that refers, dissonance means sort of a lack of ease, a lack of being set, stable. I'm sorry? Of harmony, lack of harmony. Internally, when, for example, let's say that I am addicted to smoking. But I also know that smoking's killing me. And I have a spiritual belief that says my life is sacred. I love my family. So this dissonance, this discord, this lack of harmony between my action continuing to smoke and my belief smoking is bad for me puts me in a sense of dis-ease. And what the concept of cognitive dissonance says is that it's very difficult to live in that state for very long. And so what happens is either we change the action, I quit smoking, or we change the belief. And this is where you get all those people saying, oh, it's not so bad for you. That's all just propaganda. My grandmother smoked two packs of cigarettes a day till she was 90. This is where what we call rationalization comes in. And rationalization comes in not because we're bad people, but because we don't want to live in that state of lack of harmony, that state of dissonance. And because we, for whatever reason, aren't changing the behavior, it's an addiction, or it's just something we're too lazy to change, something we don't want to change. So we change our way of thinking about it. If you find yourself doing that, that's when you know you're not in alignment. If you are at ease, in harmony, there's alignment. But then, of course, there's the deeper connection, and that's the spiritual connection. That's that connection to the divine that's ultimately the end goal of our spiritual path of yoga whether we say samadhi, moksha, liberation, unit, whatever, whatever word we use for it, nirvan. And that you know the way that you know when you fall in love. If you're, if you're wondering, well, I think I love him, 
You don't. <laughs> when you're really in love, you don't ask. And in the same way, when we're deeply connected, we know it. He's asked, what's the vision of the future of the world? He asked, what is my vision? But of course, but I don't, I don't have access. So I'm going to share what I've heard Pooja Swamiji speak about, and I'm going to share what comes, but it's not like I can see the future. So it's not, it's not coming from that place. What we are, are told in terms of, because this takes us into also the concept of karma, destiny. What's the destiny of the world? Where are we going? And like when we talk about karma and destiny, we speak so frequently about the fact that where we've gotten to right now is a product of the karma of the past. But where we're going to be tomorrow, our quote-unquote destiny, is a product of what we're doing today. And in the same way with the world, it certainly doesn't look good, which I assume is what propels you to ask the question. And yet, along with that which doesn't look good, on a purely scientific, physical basis, if we start looking at things like parts of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, of methane in the atmosphere, our ozone layer, UN estimates of how many people are going to live without water in the next 10 years. If we look at the facts and the figures like that, the future is horrendous. And yet, right now we're in today. And in today we have free will. And in today, we have the path of our sadhana. We have our intelligence. <coughs> we have our compassion. We have our initiative, our creativity. And I am full of faith that if we actually use all of those things in the way that best serves the planet, the future can be phenomenal. On individual levels, each of us probably knows people, and I know dozens of people, who at some point in their life were at what we call rock bottom whether due to alcoholism, whether due to drug addiction, 
whether due to depression, due to eating disorders, due to any one of a number of different things from which people rarely pull themselves out or things that tend to take one's life and send it into the spiritual equivalent of a black hole. And yet, who due to grace, whether grace in the form of a guru, grace in the form of a 12-step program, grace in the form of a child who looked in their eyes and said, Dad, stop drinking. Grace, I mean, whatever it is, grace in the form of love for someone more than they loved their addiction. All of the things that have pulled so many people out of that place. Years, decades later, these are people who are, are serving the world in phenomenal ways. Not only have they changed their lives, but they're changing the lives of so many people around them. So if, if the global <coughs> is made up of the individual, which it is, And in the spiritual scientific words of a very, very dear friend and a brilliant mentor, our whole world is made up of molecules. And that which happens on a cellular level, he's taken the cell and turned it into humanity. That which happens on a cellular level is just replicated into that which happens on the individual level, which is just replicated into that which happens on a community level, which is replicated into that which happens on a global level. And all of the same way that we treat the cell becomes the same way that we treat the whole, which becomes the same way that we treat the community and the globe. So, Whichever way we look at it, just because a cell is cancerous or a person wakes up in their own vomit in the sewer with no place to call home, or just because our world is where it is today, doesn't mean that tomorrow that cell is going to be cancerous or that tomorrow that person isn't going to be unrecognizable from the hungover drunkard in the sewer. And in the same way, I have no reason to believe that our world of tomorrow is going to be a continuation of our world today. And yet, in every one of those cases, it doesn't just happen automatically. Grace is there. But grace requires us, A, to open to it, and then B, to respond to it. And so in our world today, the grace is there. But each of us is going to have to do our part. 
And whether it's in the choices of what we eat, what we buy, how we live, whether it's in the choices of how we utilize our skills. <coughs> Each of us has a set of skills, talents, abilities, that could be used in innumerable ways. Fire can cook food or burn down the house. So what we have gets utilized. And it's either going to be utilized for further destruction or it's going to be utilized to bring about a beautiful tomorrow. And if we all take pledges spiritually and actively, not that those two things are separate, but it's important to mention both of them, that we're not just going to meditate on a better world, but that that meditation is going to give us a vision for which to act. I have full faith.